Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week four of the Big East Barroom presented by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout to get $20 off your first order. You want to go to a game and check out some Big East basketball. We want you to go to a game. Take $20 off. That's a crisp Andrew Jackson. Rye, you are there with your UConn National Championship hat on with a flannel in December. How are you this fine Sunday evening? Tyler, why do you describe my clothes every time you introduce me? Ryan, what do good authors do? They really want to paint a picture of what's going on. And for my listeners out there, I want them to understand what they're looking at. Tyler, do you think you're an author? I kind of paint a picture with my words. You wouldn't understand. You're You're not in my position. This was about as bad of a week for Big East basketball as we've seen since. Um, when we all got didn't win the when we all didn't win the national championship two years ago. I don't know. Six, yeah, seven. this was this was tough. Uh, the, the Big Twelve kind of smacked us around. We're losing to the Big Twelve. Um, Eleven and seven this week, and remember, some of those wins are against Wagner, URI, Southern. Right. Um, we Mike. got last place in the Big Five. Um, yeah, fuck you, Villanova. Yeah, not great. So, we decided to do uh, the order today as worst weeks to best weeks, and that way we'll lead right into our team of the week at the end. Yeah, so, Ryan, do you want to pick the f- – because we have different worst weeks anyway, so this won't matter. Do you want to pick the worst week of the week? I don't know how you don't have these guys as having the worst week. Because of- my team eliminated themselves from tournament contention already. Yeah, but they had done that prior to. Anyhow, we're going to put three minutes on the clock, and we're going to talk about your Villanova Wildcats, who go 0-2 this week. They lose 78-65 to to St. Joseph at home, and then they lose 57-55 to to Drexel at the Wells Fargo Center, and it's a Philly matchup, so, you know, it's not really a home game. Um, this was that to Tell that to Seth Davis. He doesn't know where Villanova plays. He believes every game in Philadelphia might perhaps be a home game for Villanova. This was pitiful, though, right? This was, um, especially coming off of a championship battle for Atlantis, this was as bad as it could get for Villanova, losing to St. Joseph's a mid-major, Drexel is a low-major, but losing at home to St. Joseph. And then when, according to Ken Palm, that's the second-worst defensive performance of the year for a Big East team. Is DePaul number one? No, it was St. Joseph, uh, St. John's to Michigan John's. in that Big Ten uh, Gavit Games matchup. Um, yeah, they just didn't look like they wanted to be there. There just wasn't the level of fight and intensity that you needed, and it was not something you're used to seeing from Villanova Wildcats. Yeah, it's funny because when we had Tommy on last week, um, plug, we talked about how maybe the battle for Atlantis calmed some of the Kyle Neptune rumors. You lose a bunch of games in Philadelphia. I mean – you're reigniting them. You can't get, you can't score 53 points against Drexel. I mean, you're talking about a low major. I mean, this is not um, acceptable for Villanova basketball. 
You lost three games to Philadelphia. But I will say, let's do fan fiction. What if, and hear me out, Villanova just is allergic to playing Philadelphia teams? Well, it's bizarre, it. right? They're 0-3 to Philadelphia teams, and they beat everybody else. I mean, they have three top 50 wins, according to Ken Palm, and they lost to Drexel. I don't even want to guess what Drexel is in Ken Palm. It's got to be sub-150, around 200. Um, a lot of zone was played against Villanova this week. Villanova impressed nobody with their ability to score against the zone. Maybe the play, um, parents of the players were impressed. I think that might have happened. I'm looking for Drex on Ken Palm and I can't find him. Although I found Merrimack. Um, yeah, right. I mean, like when you have all this talent on a team, um, you know, even that last play, I, you know, against Drexel, I was really unimpressed. They sent Justin Moore basically in the paint to die um, on that last play. He pump fakes and then gets blocked by about four players. You know, th- this Villanova team has a lot of questions. Um, I'm a little surprised to see an attitude adjustment, you know, needed for them. Yeah, absolutely. I got we got a few seconds left. Ty, give us a snapshot of your feelings on Kyle Neptune at this moment in time. Yeah, I mean it's reactionary, but I don't think he's the guy. Uh and I was kind of cautiously optimistic after the battle for Atlantis, but a good coach gets his players up for every game. Um even if they're having a bad night, he you know, you don't see this kind of stuff happen. So you got to really start to wonder if Kyle Neptune is the guy for that job. You know, we could be looking at a John Shire type situation pretty soon. Well, John Shire still has his job. Um, now, that's I know some things you don't. Um, yeah, I just couldn't believe how bad that defense was against St. Joseph's. They just got they lost one on one repeatedly throughout the game. Um, and it didn't matter what Neptune did, he threw zone out there, he threw he went back to the switch in defense, he had the five in coverage, didn't matter. They were losing one on one to St. Joseph. That can't happen. Um, but it's your pick who had the second worst week. Um, I would argue that this team had the worst week and that would be Xavier. And part of the reason we got a little delayed last week in our recording. So we were actually recording right after Xavier lost to Oakland. Um, so it kind of gets lost in our week a little bit, but they lost to Oakland, which is a terrible, terrible loss. And then I actually, they showed me a ton of fight this week, but they lost to Houston at home. That would have been a resume changer. A five and three team. This team should be six and two right now um, with some bad losses in there. You know, you start if your non-con is as bad as Xavier's is right now and you're four and four. Even if you kind of look impressive, you just have you run out of chances on a, to build a resume the way you need to. I'm not saying they're near there yet, but we're approaching that territory. Yeah, I think. You know, but there was so much promise in that Houston game that it's hard for me to be too down on them. Houston is number six in the country. Um, They have the number one defense in the country, according to Ken Palm. They're a fantastic team. And Xavier went down big and they battled back. You have to give a lot of credit to Quincy Oliveri. Davion McKnight had some really big moments in that game. Desmond Claude ends up with 14 points. Um, But you could tell it's a lot of work in progress. Really impressed with what we're seeing from Dalen Swain, though. I mean, this that kid is going to be really freaking good in a couple years, if yeah. not next year. Um, he's built like, you know, NBA wing. And I'm not saying that Xavier didn't impress me with that Houston game. Like, they look good. Like, Houston punched them in the mouth, and we were sitting there and we were saying, they might lose by 30. You know, and then they come back and they fight, and they're just in that game the entire time. Um, Quincy, Quincy looked unbelievable from three at certain points. But... Xavier, you're at the point where you can't just get moral victories. 
But Ryan, we're a breaking news podcast, and we just got a tweet, and we we're, we'd have to decipher what it means a little bit. But Xavier Basketball just tweeted out, "Welcome back, Jerome Hunter." And man, how much would that change things if Jerome Hunter ends up playing a little bit more this season than we thought he would? I cannot see a world in which Jerome Hunter is playing. Um, I may end up being wrong. And by the time you listen to this podcast, you may know I'm wrong. But I don't think that that's really anything other than maybe he returned to campus. He wasn't allowed to be on campus. And no, he was He was on the bench, I believe, for at least a few of those games. And the pictures of him on Twitter are of him practicing. I mean, or at least shooting a basketball in the uniform. I mean, I can't, I, I think he's back to practicing. If you get cleared for it, I think he might be back. Is it enough? If they have Jerome Hunter, forget the resumes. Are they a top five team in the biggies? With Jerome Hunter? Yeah. I mean, I would say that they're fighting for that fifth spot. I think the top four are very clear. Um, I think if you bring Jerome Hunter in, they're better than Villanova. Have you bring Jerome Hunter in, I think they're better than St. John's. I don't see it. I like Jerome Hunter, but they're missing a five. Do you like, like him or do you love him? Because tell the people, do you like him or do you love him? Um, I love him. Do you just like him? I love him. I love everybody. You love everybody? What about Hunter Dickinson? Love him. Really? Ew. Anyhow, I just don't see it happening for Xavier. Ryan, Dr. Ryan Cassidy, if anybody would like to at him, he is, is doing his heart degree at the university. No, no, no. My point here was I don't think even if they get him back, I don't think they're a top five team no. in the hole they dug themselves. I mean, you're talking about they need to win probably three games against the top three teams in the Big East. Like, they need to defend home court against each of them. No, you you sweep St. John's, you sweep Butler. I mean, you're talking about a team that could be right there. You need You need big wins. They have zero big wins. That's that's why that's how you feel about Bryant. Bryant's afraid to schedule UConn, Ryan. That's how yeah, Bryant, UConn's afraid to schedule. Oh, UConn's afraid to schedule Bryant. However you say that. All right, and that brings us to our next worst performance of the week. I've got your DePaul Blue Demons, Mr. Tony Stubblefield. DePaul loses eighty to ninety nine against Iowa State. Close at half. They managed to keep it close at half, but it's a blowout by the end of the game. Jeremiah Odin goes for twenty five points. That's great to see. Um, Chico Carter, 14 points. I don't know. What else is there to say about DePaul at this point? Yeah, so this game got cut into because of the game that ran over. What was on the Xavier game that went over? So by the time we actually got it on the TV, um, uh, DePaul was up You know, for a while in this game. for Through the first like 12 or 13 minutes of this game, they were down. When did they lose the lead finally? Um they lost the lead at about the 10 minute mark of the first half. And, you know, you're saying they were playing pretty well. They were keeping themselves in a game and then the bottom fell out. I mean, they, this, you know, that's kind of what we've seen nice stretches from them before, right? Deshaun Nelson scores 16 in a row to almost save them the embarrassment of losing to Northern Illinois. Shout out Deshaun Nelson. You're not the problem at this program. Um, And you want to know who really impressed me? And we're going to talk, and I know you've talked about him briefly, Jeremiah Odin hit some tough shots and shot six of seven from three in this game. Well, you got plenty of individual talent, but it's the same thing we've been saying for three years. Well, I mean, you've been saying it for 20 years for DePaul, but, you know, since Javon Freeman Liberty was on the darn team, you, they got a ton of individual talent. They got three guys playing in the NBA, or four guys, right? What are we doing? I mean, Iowa State is a good team, and they shot 56% for the game. I mean... The defense is just horrendous. It's non-existent. Um, 
it's sometimes hard to tell if it's effort versus skill, because if you don't have the skill, sometimes it looks like you're not putting in the effort. Um, but you got to wonder if these guys are talented. You're right, right? Because we have Max Strauss and JFL and we have um, Javon Johnson, Johnson and yep. Moja Gibson, who came through this program last year. You know, I it's hard for me to believe you can't get Deshaun Nelson, um, Jeremiah Odom, Elijah Fisher, Chico Carter to play defense. I'm Tyler, you saw the tweet from Coaches Changes on Twitter suggesting that Tony Stubblefield might be out of here by Friday. Yeah, it's hard to um always put stock in those things. Normally, you get some breaking news from these accounts. Colleges are less tight-lipped than professional sports, so sometimes you get something that leaks here or there. It's always hard for me to root for someone to lose their job other than if you're Patrick Ewing and you're already a millionaire. But, you know, at this point, it is such an institutional failure to keep Tony Stubblefield as the coach that if they do not make a move soon, it's like boarding on incompetence as a college. At the end of the day, I don't care if they make it mid-season or at the end of the season. I have no problem with them waiting until the end of the season. This season's it's a loss. Yeah, but right? how about kind of a little... Hey, guys, nobody's safe. If you're not going to turn this shit around, you're not going to be here. Tyler, DePaul over under one and a half Big East wins. Under. They win one game in Big East. And I believe it's probably against Georgetown at home when Georgetown, three of their players get sick, and now they're down to four scholarship <laughs> players. I mean, that's where we're at right now. Heavy walk-on minutes. All right, Ryan. Next team I get to pick, and I think – this one, it's it's almost uh, the conversation around this team has been so positive. So when I saw the display on Saturday, it kind of shocked me. I'm going to go with Marquette. They go one and one this week. They beat Southern. Um, but they lost to Wisconsin, and that means something in, in Wisconsin in general. You need to beat your rivals. Shock has lost to them three years in a row. Right, we were having a lot of conversation during this game yesterday. One of the things that scares me about Marquette, they love playing with a chip on their shoulder. But you said it, you know, yesterday. It's like they're a boxer. They need to get punched in the face before they go, oh, shit, I need to defend myself now. And they got punched in the face yesterday, and unfortunately the punch was too big that they can never recover. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. And, um, like, old-school trainers will talk about it, that there's some boxers that need to get beat up a little bit in the first round to get into the right headspace. And it's, like, you almost see that with Marquette, you know? Like, they don't turn it on all the way until they're down big. And they turn it on, like – when they come out for se- in the second half, I tweeted this, when the, the second half of Purdue, the second half of UCLA, and then the second half against Wisconsin, they play like one of the best teams in the country. They play like their hair is on fire. They're, you know, torturing the opposing teams defensively. You get Tyler Kolick and Cam Jones with that killer look in their eyes, and they're going out there to make plays and score buckets. Um, I have no question about that team's ability to go to a Final Four. The team we see in the first half? That team's going to get bounced in the second round again. Um, I think that a lot of what this team revolves around and is the play of Stevie Mitchell. And I think you really saw that because he got in foul trouble in the first half. He's first of all, he's their best on ball defender by far. Um, you know, that the kid for Wisconsin was lighting him up yesterday. Um, what's his name? Max, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it was absolutely lighting him up. Mitchell comes into that game, he's in the right spot. He gets a, he steals the ball a few times. They cut that 13-point deficit to, like, four points in, like, 30 seconds. And Stevie Mitchell, I believe, had four points and a steal in there. I think he's kind of the straw that stirs a drink. I'll be honest, and I hate – you know, I don't love calling him out, but Tyler Cole, like, I need to see you put your head down a little bit more, and I need to see you be a little aggressive and go get your points. There's no reason 
that that Wisconsin team should have been holding Tyler Kolick under 10 points. Yeah, he missed some shots, some layups that usually go for him. He had a hard time converting on some of those. It was a tough spot to be in, and I agree with everything you said about Stevie Mitchell. He's one of the most underrated guys in the Big East. Uh, he's glue completely guy. selfless. He's he's a glue guy like personified. He reminds me, right? I don't know if you'll like this comparison of what Andre Jackson was last year for UConn. Not the most talented player on the court. His defense is a game changer, and that I believe that when he's playing right and in the right headspace, that that team is just different. I disagree. Andre Jackson's a freak athlete. Um, Stevie Mitchell is one of the smartest players that I've seen. Are you coming at Andre Jackson's intelligence? No, I'm just like Andre Jackson. They're, not, they're nothing alike. Andre Jackson. Listen, Andre Mitchell Jackson's in the NBA for a reason, and he started the other day. Yeah. Stevie Mitchell's not going to be starting in the NBA. There's a difference between the two of them. Um, Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in some ways, but I think if you're talking about glue guys in the country, I don't know if you can talk about it without Stevie Mitchell. You don't yeah, agree? I don't, I don't disagree with that. He's one of the best glue guys in the country. That's going to bring us to our next team. I'm going to go with the Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, there's only two more teams ahead of loss this week. Georgetown is one of them. They go one and one. Uh, no, they didn't. They beat Merrimack by two points. And then they beat TCU by, and a crazy finish. The guy stepped out of bounds and shot it. So that doesn't count in basketball. You know what's crazy is that it did count and nope. they did lose. Ryan, when you are discussing the rules of basketball with like a kid, you tell them like you can't shoot outside of these lines, right? So if you shoot outside of those lines, that would be breaking a rule and therefore you can't do it. See, here's what you missed is if the ref doesn't see it, it doesn't matter. No, but the but no, you're right. Absolutely. But then they went to a review. So they did see it, correct? Yeah, but th- it's all about when you see it. Anyhow. <laughs> so, Ryan, Georgetown won that game yesterday. I'm not, I won't acknowledge it otherwise. No, I mean, if you're a Georgetown fan, I cannot blame you one bit for being, I mean, it's just unacceptable. It's just completely unacceptable. Why did we invest in review um technology if we're not going to use it on a game-winning freaking play and you know the right answer but you're like well technically who cares about technically he stepped out of bounds i mean complete bullshit and what is worse is women's college basketball you could have reviewed that and done it they just don't so the ncaa has the ability to do that they just haven't put in immense college basketball i mean i i mean we should talk a little bit about georgetown maybe we should extend this like a minute because we haven't talked about it yet but I thought Georgetown showed me a whole lot yesterday against TCU. Um, you know, they're obviously down some scholarship guys. I'm really impressed by the difference that um, I don't want to say his name wrong. Masood. Ismail. Ismail Masood makes um, because he is literally like he's kind of enforcing himself around the rim a little bit. He had a few blocks. He can shoot the three well. He's also a P6 guy who got P6 minutes last year. Yeah, I mean, he's mature. Uh, he understands the game at a high level. He, I'm not sure what year he is in, but he did play big minutes for Kansas State last year. And that Kansas State senior, team won what, Final Four or Elite Eight? They lost in the Final Four to FAU? Uh, no, they lost to because San Diego State beat them. They must have lost in the Elite Eight. Oh, you're right. Um, yeah, he's really – I mean, obviously, Jaden Epps, you can't say enough good things about him. That kid's a killer. I really like what we've seen from Jay Heath. Who I mean, you know, ten points, shoots three of six from the field. Smart player, doesn't make mistakes, and that's exactly what this Georgetown team. I think this is what frustrates me so much about that call, right? Whatever Georgetown's not going to the tournament, no matter what. 
you took away the feeling of Georgetown walking around here and going, yeah, we might be on the right track now. Because now they're you're sitting here and we're talking about a loss when they fucking won a game. I'm like, I'm so angry about it. I got to say something. Providence fans tune this out. Did you see Ed Cooley's response in the at the presser? I didn't like that either. I mean, we probably don't agree on that. He says these are three of the best referees in the country. Yeah, no. Have them again. I would have them again. No. Since the game doesn't come down. Uh, you're, you're no. The, the game did come down to that. I hate when people do this, right? People go and they say, I, the game didn't come down to that. Okay, Ryan, if that call was different, did what would have been the result of the game? Yeah, but if they hit no, their but free throws. No, but, but just, that's, a, that's a ridiculous. Just tell me what would, if they literally just called that one play different, the game's over. And if they hit one of their free throws, it's a tie game sure. when he hits that. Or if Jaden Epps missed the second free throw. But Ryan, there are differences. There's That's like a 150. Yes, of no, course. In college basketball, there's like 120 yes. possessions. But all right? Every one of them is important when you lose by one point. No, and and they're pl- only going to look at the last one when you lose by one point. A college fallacy. No, a college basketball player should cost his team the game. That's what happens. A, a referee, after we see what fucking happened, should never happen. They cost those kids a win because if you just change that one play, then TCU loses that game and Georgetown gets to win. There's if you change that plays one in that play, game that if you change them, if, Georgetown no, but, if, but it's are. different. But we got to move on. That but play right. If you call that play right, Georgetown wins the game. All right, who's your pick? Uh, for the next. Worst week. Now we're starting to get into some good weeks, aren't we? Um, yeah, one more 0 1 team. Not 0 1. They went 1 1 because we, I know we talked about it, but I think we do have to talk about UConn next. Um, they beat UNH again. We covered that game a little bit. Um, when we did a day late record, and then they went to the fog and they lost to Kansas by four. And I mean, maybe because my heart was too invested, but I think it's considered one of the better college basketball games of the year. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have, I mean, how much fun is it to play at an actual home arena versus these darn neutral sites? Like, this is co- killing college basketball. I'm going to get on, on my soapbox now. Like, the idea that you don't play, and I love what Dan Hurley said. He's like, I'd love to do home and homes against the best teams in the country. Um, it was so good for the sport. It was such a fun atmosphere. The place was rocking. Shout out to Kansas. Those basketball, those kids love basketball. And that's a lot of fun to get to watch. Yeah, and I I think one of the other points is this game didn't hurt UConn at all. So, like, who cares? that? Like, I get it. They lost. But nobody's going to look at this loss and be like, this is a deterrent. Nobody's even looking at this loss and being like, Kansas is much better than UConn. Like, we're looking at this game going, yeah, if it was played anywhere but the fog, you know, it's probably a different, you know, situation. I mean, and you're going to have to play in high-stress situations if you exactly. want to win a national championship. But so, God forbid, you practice when it doesn't matter that much. And how good is it to say it, you're going to play in less of a high-stress situation in the NCAA tournament because you're not going to be playing in front of 20,000 kids who want to kill you. Right. <laughs> like, you're going to be playing on a neutral site, right? We can't talk about UConn without talking about Tristan Newton. Um, Tristan Newton absolutely played his ass off. He is playing like an All-American. Uh, this kid is... He's got a slow pulse. That's all. It never seems like he's rattled. He is just completely calm at all times. Um, wildly impressed. You know, I, I think if we're going to talk of any concerns, I, I'm a little concerned Alex Caravan wise. Um, Can I just, I want to yeah, go for it. You just talk put a little praise in on Tristan Newton on my end as well. He didn't get a lot of it last year. He was overshadowed by Dama Sinogo, Andre Jackson, Jordan Hawkins. It was his first year on the team. He is so freaking good. 
I mean, he's one of the best guards in the country. He doesn't get talked about that way. But what he is able to do affecting every aspect of the game, he's one of the best rebounders from the point guard position in the country, if not the best rebounder. I don't, you know, there might be one somebody can think of, but he's as good as anybody and 31 points. Right. No, don't even say that. I think he's like 14th in the country and rebounds in general. So you assume that the top 13 are like people who are supposed to rebound the ball. Yeah, any I agree with that. Uh, the Caravan stuff, I'm not that worried. He just had a huge game against Texas where he was the most clutch player on the floor. Everybody has a bad game, and he's been there. He's won a national championship. I'm not. My worry is not about Alex Caravan as a person. I think that guy's slow pulse, never, you know, fearing. My worry is that last year with Adama Sanogo and Jordan Hawkins, Tristan Newton, and Andre Jackson, not as much offensively, that Alex Caravan took a lot of open threes. Um, and this year the defenses are more keyed in on him and therefore he's having a lot harder time getting his shots up. Even those shots against Texas, right? Are really hard shots that he made. Yeah. He made, I mean, the three shots he had against Texas down the stretch were tough shots. I don't have this. Look at that. He's shooting 40%. Oh no, that was last year. He's shooting 31% from three this year. Yeah. And look at the tournament last year. The threes that Caravan made that were backbreakers are mostly wide open. Even that one he hit in the buzzer beater. I'm not worried about Caravan as a person. I'm worried about him right now getting his shot off as much he's as he's two of 15 over his last three games. He's going through a little shooting. Right. Those are three. Those are three big games he played, I believe. And in UNH. In uh, you're right. Sorry. I thought Texas was in there as well. No, in the uh, what do you call it? The Empire Classic. He was six yeah. of 14 from three. I mean, that's about 40 percent. That's as yeah. good as you can ask for. That's more um, than Let's see. That would bring us over to. There's an easy one here, right? Going to go Providence. No. Um. Yeah. Sure. I was going. Yeah, go we're going to go Providence. They go two and zero. Oh. They are one of only two teams in the Big East to go two and zero, oh, but they played Wagner and URI, and unfortunately for them, their in-state rival is just not moving anybody's needle at this point. Nothing they can do about that. They ain't moving your needle. They ain't moving your needle. Not moving my needle. They're not. It's not an impressive win, um, but taking care of business is always nice to see. Bryce Hopkins with two twenty-point games after struggling earlier in the season, he looks like he might be finding something. Right. We have to talk about Providence in terms of um, like we're a weekly show, so they're next week of when they play Oklahoma. I mean, we could be having a completely different conversation on you know Oklahoma's ranked twenty-fifth in the country right now. We could be having a completely different conversation when it comes, you know, when we're recording next week. I think that Providence has solidified itself as the fourth best team in the Big East. Do you agree? Disagree? Yeah, I think right now, I think it was Villanova this time last week. I think Villanova goes out and loses to two, a mid-major and a low-major, and Providence takes care of a low-major and a mid-major. Um, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say I think they're the fourth most talented team in the Big East, but the way they're playing right now, I mean, they're connected, they're well-coached, their defense is elite, and uh, their elite scorers are starting to round into shape. Yeah, Jaden Pierre came back in the second game. I think that's really noteworthy. He was playing like a Big East first-team, second-team, honorable mention talent um, before he got injured, so it's always good to see him back on the court. Hey, listen, even if they lose to Oklahoma this week and then take care of Brown later in the week, I think that this Providence team is going to be really happy with their non-con. Um, they're going to sit there and go, we got some quality wins. We learned a lot about our team and we are going to win almost every game at the amp. And hopefully we, we can pick up some road wins and we're going to be a tournament team. Do you think 
English wishes he had scheduled a harder non-con? No, because I think he's looking around and saying, hey, we needed to get this team connected, and this is what we did. Now they have the confidence, and they know that they can win, and now let's go do it. Listen, it's the Big East. If you have you know, even a one or two good wins in non-con, you're going to get every opportunity in conference play to get as many wins as you can. Yeah, I think that's a completely valid point. 2020 hindsight, there's no saying he would have done this if he had scheduled a harder non-con, and what he did worked out just perfect. Also, he didn't schedule this non-con, mostly, I don't know. Ryan, who did? Miss Edward Cooley. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's there's... Only so many ways you could say I'm really impressed with Providence. I love Ticket Gaines and Josh Adoro. I think they're two of the best transfers in the Big East. Ticket Gaines hit seven threes in one of these games? Yes, against Wagner. That was one of the best shooting performances of the Big East season. But you're right. It's kind of a stock wait and see for next week and what they do against a ranked team. But compared to where preseason expectations were, where they might have been in that seven, eight, six, seven, eight region. I think that they're, if we did an overall non-con stock, like their stock is way up. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, right. Is it my turn to pick the next one? Yes, it is. Um, I mean, we're still talking about good teams, but I would go with Seton Hall. Um, I thought you would have went there. I think Province is two wins against whatever, but Seton Hall beat Northeastern this week. Right, I was trying to explain, you know, our good friend Tim is a big Rutgers fan and Seton Hall plays Rutgers soon. And he's like, Talk to me about Seton Hall. I said, Tim, everything you know about Seton Hall is wrong. This team plays offense, and they don't play great defense. <laughs> yeah, and Shaheen Holloway's tearing his non-existent hair out about it because Shaheen Holloway doesn't want to be that kind of coach. You know, I asked him at Big East Media Day. You know, he said, you know, Flex. Huh? Flex. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I said, he was talking about how they're going to have their own identity. I asked him what the identity was going to be. He said, we're a defense-first team. We're always going to be a defense-first team. Um, they have not impressed defensively to this point. Not that their um, defensive performance against Northeastern was that bad, but just. They gave up 75 points to Northeastern, right? Yeah. Eastern's three and five. I wonder what the tempo was in that game. They they play a little bit faster. So they did. Know. Seton Hall shot 60%, though. Yeah. I mean, Betty Aku and Dre Davis didn't miss a shot. They went seven of seven. I'm not saying I disagree with what. That the defense isn't there, but I don't think we'll say that by the end of the year. I think Shaheen Holloway is a darn good coach, and I think he will figure it out. Um, and they're going to need the defense because they're not going to be able to score with Big East teams. Yeah. Can you I imagine mean, they have they a... try to score with Marquette and Creighton and don't play defense? Yeah, no, I mean, you're not going to be able to do that. Seton Hall has their biggest week of the year. They need to win one of these games. They play Baylor on Tuesday, the big uh, East Big 12 Challenge, and then they play Rutgers. If they don't win one of these games, I liken them to Xavier, where you are running out of opportunities to improve your non-con. Seton Hall is taking care of business against all the bad teams and then have lost all the good teams. You yeah. have to eventually beat a good team for a resume builder. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and if you think back to last year, it was kind of Shaheen Holloway's first big win of his Seton Hall coaching tenure when they beat Rutgers in one of the ugliest basketball games you were ever going to see. Uh, two teams in the 40s, like 45, 46. But you walked away from it saying that Seton Hall basketball, that Shaheen Holloway basketball, that's what he wants out of his program. And he wants to come out with those kinds of wins. I think he needs to get back to that. Well, not just him, but the entire Seton Hall team. And if they're able to do that this week, 
you're talking about, you know, it's not a it's not a disaster of a non-con if they manage to win their in-state rivalry game. Beat Rutgers. Listen, I don't Baylor's a top 10 team in the country and they're going to be jumping up further this week. Beat Rutgers. Yeah, no excuse. You have to beat Rutgers or else you're going to have to have a hell of a conference, you know, a uh, conference play. You're going to have to beat a UConn or a Marquette or UConn and Marquette or a UConn, Marquette, Creighton, whatever. You're going to have to put a hell of a combination together for a team that I think has aspiration of, of sitting on the bubble. Isaiah Coleman continues to impress me. He won freshman of the week last year, um, last week, yeah. and he had a nice game again. I think you look forward to what Shane Holloway's doing when he's bringing in his own guys, and you start to maybe see it coming together in a couple of years. Yeah, I agree. And Kadari Richmond continues to impress. I think that's a huge thing for them. Okay, that leads us to our next team, and, and we're getting into good weeks here. Seton Hall went 1-0. We've had good weeks. Georgetown was undefeated. Province is undefeated. So Hall is undefeated. I'm going to go St. John's here. Ooh, interesting. St. John's goes 1-0. They beat West Virginia at West Virginia. It's the Quinn Slazinski revenge game, but it's not. Um, it's the Bob Huggins legacy game. Which Everyone was, got drunk and drove? Which was very weird that he was there, but, you know, he was there. And then really in the end, it ends up being the Joel Soriano. I'm a bad mother freaking man. Um, Thank God you didn't curse. This podcast would be terrible if we cursed. He kind of took over that game, though. 24 points. He was unstoppable. And he was playing against a good center. Um, What's the kid's name from Syracuse? Uh, Jesse Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jesse Edwards is Listen, hey, Joel Soriano is going to make a lot of people feel that way after a game. I bet Jesse Edwards is bruised and broken up and down. It's worth noting West Virginia, probably without two of the three best players, and Kirk Krissa. Um, Akuka Cook wasn't playing because of his health injuries. I'm not sure Akuka Cook is one of their best players, but because I love him so much, he is. Hey, you see it with St. John's. You see what they want to do. RJ Lewis just went out again for another month with shin splints or a shin issue right now. I think they still need to get a little tighter on the rotation. I, I don't know if you can play Brady Dunlap every game. He really liked what he saw from Brady Dunlap this game. I think it's one of the most run he got all season. I know. I defensively, he's he's long, though, right? Yeah. He's got a lot of length, and that backcourt, Dingle and Jenkins and Taylor, are not the longest backcourt. So he went to Dunlap for 10 minutes, which is bigger than Naeem Aline was really good. 18 but, po- or 14 points off the bench in 18 minutes. Yeah. He played 11 people. I'm, I, and this wasn't a blowout. It's not like some of these people got in at the end of the game. I mean, he doesn't know what to do with Shajori and Davis. They play four and six minutes. He doesn't know what to do with them. He throws them in, hopes they're good, and then, you know, gets them out. I just am a little worried about his rotation and how deep it is. And, but it was good to see Naeem get. I'm not his. necessarily buying it at this point in the season. I think he doesn't know who his best players are. And I think he's still figuring that out. I think you that's saw a that. huge problem. Well, it's not when you bring in 13 new guys. No, no other Big East team doesn't know who their best players are. Look no at Butler. No other Big East team brought in 13 yes, new but, guys. Butler literally did. No, they, they, nobody else they, brought in as many transfers. They brought in 11. In the country. They brought in 11. They brought in 11. Who cares? Butler does has that same problem, and Butler knows who their best players are. Rick Pitino needs to figure out his rotations, or he's going to get run off the floor in the Big East play. He just had one of the best weeks of anybody in the Big East. He got the Big East to win. Not saying anything. Well, he was one of the only. We we're literally sitting here, and we started the show with Eeyore like cloud above our head, saying, 
Big E's had a really bad week, and then you're out here touting that they yeah, one of they the had best a weeks. really bad week, and he got a win, and you're gonna sit here giving him a hard time about it. You're like the guy who has a five dollar bill while everyone else has a penny. You're still not rich, bud. Ty, you can only win the games you have in front of you. He did. Most of the Big East didn't. That's a good week. I'm not worried about anything he's doing because he had a good week, all right? I would take the loss to Kansas if I was UConn over the win for St. John's if I was He didn't have the chance to lose to Kansas. He had the chance to beat West Virginia. What do you mean? Slick Rick just comes in there and snaps his fingers and people run to play him. You're on one. I hate Rick Patino. (laughs) But if you want to come on the show, Rick Patino, that'd be great. (laughs) All right, Tyler, that leaves two teams. One of them is our team of the week. The other team is your Butler Bulldogs. You want to introduce them? Yeah, Butler goes 1-0 and and they beat Texas Tech. Hey, I'm a believer. Everything I just said about St. John's where I'm not sure, I believe in Butler and what they're doing. Um, Butler went in, and or not went in, Butler beat Texas Tech at home um, in overtime. The grit that they showed, Pierre Brooks, Jamail Telfer, I mean, DJ Davis, we're talking about we're talking about legitimate offensive threats for a team that was so bad offensively at times last year. Yeah, I mean, well, it helps to bring in a completely new roster, as we just mentioned with St. John's. However, DJ Davis, how about DJ Davis had 14 points in the last eight minutes of this game? The last three minutes of regular time plus five minutes of overtime, he went eight of eight from a free throw line. He hit two big threes. Jamil Telfort hits the biggest shot of the game off that pass from Jamel Thomas. Jalen Thomas, right. Jalen Thomas. Jamel Telford, Jalen Thomas. I mean, Jalen Thomas, um, you got some big shot takers, shot makers on this team who are not afraid at a moment. And it's really cool to see because these guys coming up from low majors, you weren't sure how they would transfer in. And then, like, they're balling out. And it's a lot of fun to see. I, I, I agree. And, right, the difference for me between St. John's and Butler Guess how many people on St. or Butler played over um two minutes in this game? Oh my eight. Eight. You had eleven players play over two minutes for St. John's, and you had eight play for Butler. You got a weird thing about how much St. John's players. I'm are just right I now. think it's too many. It's not it's not intended to be weird. I'm just saying I think it's too many. Posh Alexander had a triple double in this game. My point is I think Butler knows who they are. Every time I watch Butler, I'm like, they know who they are. They are a good offensive team at this point. They have a pretty good defense. They have a hell of athletes on the team. It feels like they know who they are and their identity is at all yeah, times. I, do think I, they need I really grow, like that. I think they need to grow a little bit defensively. Uh, Texas Tech is not a good offensive team, and that helped them a lot. But in terms of offense, they would they score 40 points and a half against the number 15 defense in the country? Like, that's really freaking good. 45 in the first half, 38 in the second half, 20 in a five-minute overtime. In the third, uh, oh, yeah, in overtime. Yeah, they get some killers on that offense, and they're going to be in most games because they have five offensive weapons. You know, Posh isn't always scoring, but he's facilitating and helping the team in some way or another. This is exactly the type of team that Posh Alexander needs to play for. St. John's last year, I thought he was tasked to do a little too much offensively. He can give you 10 points at any given time. He shot two of 10, and this team put up 103 points. Right, I think we'd be remiss to not talk about Andre Screen. Um, this guy was kind of I somebody put it really well. I don't want I want to give them credit, maybe Butler Guru. Um, talking about how he kind of knew what we were getting from Telfort, Davis. Um, we just knew they were good offensive players. Andre Screen in a game that Butler, I think, kind of needed. 14 points, six rebounds, seven of eight shooting. You know what's so impressive to me? 
is like he's not just this seven footer running to the rim and hitting alley oops. Like he makes a little move down in the post. Like he'll take off your his second dribble. Uh, he's got a little baby hook to him. I, I didn't see that coming at all, and I had looked into him when he was transferring in. Uh, that's a great pickup for Thad Meta. I wonder if there's some that uh, Connor Tombrell has lost his spot as kind of the backup center to Andre Screen. Yeah, Turnbull's not getting minutes. He got 11 minutes in this game, and Screen got 19. But I think they pushed uh, Turnbull a little bit out to be kind of a power forward, caravan type player because he, you know, and he had his one three in that game. Yeah, I think that's what you're looking at for him for the rest of the season. We want to give a little shout out to our favorite sponsor and the sponsor of the episode, Diamore Designs. Diamore Designs is a family-run company that creates apparel, custom apparel. For all of your needs, um, they kind of got their start making apparel for rec sports teams and, you know, softball teams, intramural teams. Um, but now they really do it for anything that you could need. So if you want any custom apparel, go to DMR Designs. Tyler, you got the website? Yeah, site. If you just Google DMR Designs, it's going to come up. Um, help them out. They're really helping us out, getting us to do a few cool things. Help them out, look cool while doing it. All right, Ryan, that leaves our team of the week, which gets two wins on the road against Power 6 teams. Creighton Blue Jays beat Oklahoma State on the road, and then they go and they beat Nebraska, who is, you know, their in-state rival. Nebraska was riding high, 6-0 and coming into that game, although they played no one, and they lose dramatically. Um I think that it's very fair to say that Creighton's Colorado State game was kind of the outlier instead of saying that the rest of the season was an outlier. Yeah, remember when I sat here and said Trey Alexander won't shoot two of 16 again this season? Like this offense, there's so many weapons on this offense. It's so much fun to watch because everybody on the court can hit a three. I mean, you had, their backup four, Isaac Trout, can hit a, a three. Um, and then they have Ryan Carpenter in the middle of the paint, who's one of the best lob threats and, and one of the best defenders in the country. I don't know how you defend them, and as long as they're having a mediocre shooting night, it's going to be really freaking hard to beat them. Yeah, Baylor Shaman took, I believe, 16 threes in this game against Nebraska. Yeah, he um, shot himself into a bad percentage after yeah, he, starting off red hot. I think he had 20 points in the first half and then kind of cooled off in the second half. Yeah, he kept chucking, but... Um, yeah, I mean, listen, this team is every bit as offensively gifted as any team in the Big East. I mean, they have a real chance um, to win this conference outright when they get to, you know, Big East play. You know, it was really good to see Trey correct himself. You know, that's a type of game where it can really affect confidence, and it didn't for him at all um, when he shot one of 16. They they ran two teams off the floor, and I get it. Oklahoma State's 98th on Ken Palm right now. Nebraska's 6-0 and but hadn't played anyone. You know, we're talking about, you know, but we're talking about two P6 teams. Let's see where they land. Let's see how good these wins look eventually. But you just lost to Colorado State and kind of got run off the floor. So it was good to see them get right. Yeah. And these games, I mean, they were beating Oklahoma State bad quick. Ted, did you see the dunk from Trey Alexander today against Nebraska? Yeah. Baseline, one handed slam. Like, am I crazy or he wasn't doing that last year? Well, you know why he's doing it because he wants to play in the NBA. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, he must have worked on his athleticism a lot this offseason, hit the gym hard because his ability to elevate has really improved this season, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I I was even really impressed by Ryan Cockbrenner. At one point, he gets knocked down pretty good and jumps up and they're like, like a gazelle. And I'm like, 
if you saw Ryan Cockburn play his freshman year and you thought we'd ever compare him to a gazelle, I mean, I was saying baby giraffe when he was a freshman, like weak leg. Like this yeah, dude he, is a man now down there. He plays hard. He really yeah. does. He runs the floor hard. He plays hard. He gets on the floor. He dives for loose balls. You have to give him credit. He's a legit 7-2 diving for loose balls. There's a lot of guys who are not willing to do that. Um, you can tell he's really bought into the culture there. You know, he's not special just because he's back-to-back defensive player of the year and, and he works hard. Yeah, I mean, listen, my concerns about Creighton are the same as they were going into this week. If you have a bad shooting night, where are you going for a bucket? We argued about Cockburn earlier. It's nothing about his um, defensive talent. I, I wonder about his back-to-the-back game. I thought Isaac Trout looked pretty good in both these games. I was um I know maybe his stat lines don't necessarily reflect you know, an all-star performance or anything like that. But I was impressed that he was able to, you know, he had a dunk in tonight's game. Um, I was impressed that he was able to spread the floor. I think Creighton's still looking for, they know who their top four are. I think they're still looking who five, six, and seven are going to be in what order they're going to be. Yeah, I think the great thing for the role players at Creighton is with Trey Alexander, Stephen Ashworth, and Baylor Shireman making plays, all you have to do is sit at the three-point line and hit your three shots. Francisco Farabello, Isaac Trout, Mason Miller, they're all going to sit there and hit their threes and look darn good because of it. Um, and then you have Frederick King backing up Ryan Cockburner, and he's looked really solid back there as well. Yeah, I mean, hey, everything I saw from Creighton this week, I'm really excited. I think they solidified themselves as a top three team in the Big East again. Um, they should be moving up in the rankings. They'll probably be around 12. They're at 15 right now. Um, yeah, right. What's Creighton ceiling for you right now? I don't see why they couldn't win a national championship. I don't see a glaring weakness. They have a, one of the best defensive players in the country. They have shot makers all over the floor. They should be able to defend and, and score at a pace as high as anybody, right? Isn't the the metric always you have to be top 20 in offense and defense to win a national championship? Nobody's ever done it without being like top 20 in both. They should be top 20 in both. Right. Big East is down this week. I think we should just quickly um, calm the people or intensify. Level of panic for the Big East right now? Panic, no. No? Not a little bit of realization setting in that they're not as good as last year, which, you know, is tough. They had three of the top teams in the country last year, including the very top team in the country. They had a ton of depth. Um, They're a really good freaking league last year. I'm not sure they're quite that good this year. I I agree with you, Ray. I think that – Xavier was so good last year. I think we underestimate how good Xavier was. I think UConn, Marquette, and Creighton were so good last year. I think last year you had four legitimate top 15 teams. And this year you have three, right? And I'm just not sure. And then you had Providence, who was right there. This year, in my opinion, you have four legitimate top 25 teams. But after that, the fall off is more. And the dirty secret, Rye, is DePaul is so much worse than last year that that ruins your floor. Georgetown's about as good as they were last year right now. I, I hate that. And then you're looking at, you know, we need one of those other three teams, Seton Hall. Um, Georgetown Xavier. last year lost to American. Let's be clear. They're not as bad as they were last year. Ryan, didn't, who did they just lose to? Who was the team they lost to? Um, 
Yeah, they lost to Holy Cross, but they Georgetown lost to Holy had, Cross. Georgetown had about three non-conference losses last year that were as bad as Holy Cross. Like, I hear what you're saying. They just don't have any. They really haven't done anything. Um, they're just kind of there. Um, you you shouldn't have a one in six team in the Big East either. So the floor is lower. I'll say the ceiling's the same though. You have three teams that can win a national championship. Yeah, I don't think we're saying anything negative about those three teams. But in conference play, yeah. when you don't have as many strong teams, those losses hurt more. And then, you know, you, yeah, if we were hoping for six teams in the NCAA tournament, I'm, we're probably looking at five at this point, and it could go to four. And if Creighton gets – like, if for example, what Ryan's saying is if Creighton gets clipped by a Xavier, who is a 500 team, you're going to be looking at a Q3 loss where we all know that Xavier is much better than that, but eventually you have to put up, right? And – um we still have some time in non-con. Let's, we have about two or three weeks left in non-con. Let's turn it around. Let's get it going. We Let's not suffer any more bad losses either because we are the best conference in college basketball. Let's act like it. All right. On that note, thank you for listening. And as always, thank you for pulling up a stool.